you have a kind of bucket list for children, which uh, are the difficult experiences you think they need to have in order to be ready for life. Now, I got to tell you, as a parent, I'm thinking I've got to keep them from difficult experiences. But what's on that list? Yeah, a lot of the things we instinctively try to keep our kids from are things they need to be ready for adulthood because adulthood isn't going to be easy. Some of those things would be like not being invited to a birthday party. And we don't need to jump in and try to get them invited or call the mom. Those are experiences we need. The death of a pet or working hard on a paper and getting a poor grade or um, being fired from a job. Mm. Um, it's not always a bad thing for a young kid to be fired from a job, especially mm. if they need to learn more responsibility. It might be the only thing that'll get them to take it seriously. Well, that's Michael Anderson. He's a licensed psychologist, and he's one of the two guests we have on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly today. Timothy Johansson is a pediatrician. He's also in the studio with us. Together, these gentlemen speak, they write, and they've got a great book called Gist, The Essence of Raising Life-Ready Kids. And uh, Jim, you hinted at it. We try to protect our children so much from difficulty in life and the program we began last time, the conversation uh, had a lot to do with kind of reframing my parental mindset. So I'm a little bit more inclined to let life teach my kids. But oh, that's so hard. Well, it is. And I think it's counterintuitive to what we're taught in this environment, in this uh, day and age about parenting, which is create boundaries, uh, hold the line which are important things, but what I love about what our guests are talking about is think a little differently. Uh, you know, those disappointments, as we just heard, actually will teach your kids responsibility and doing the right thing in a way that doesn't force you to give up the relational equity hmm. that you have. And I'm hearing this as much as a dad as I think you are in the listenership. Uh, Jim, that, quote, bucket list of things that kids need to experience. I mentioned this to my daughter last night, my 16-year-old. I said, yeah, well, they, they said things like, you know, miss making the team and uh, not getting invited to a birthday party and the death of a pet. And she said, not the death of a pet. No, that's too hard. And I said, I think that's the point is that you should experience those things when you're in the home. Well, I, I mean, I got to confess it too, because I was here, uh, Gene and I came to the office one evening, the boys were doing homework, the whole family was here. And uh, Trent, with his learner's permit, wanted to go out and drive in the parking lot. And there's nobody here. It's like we have a pretty big parking lot yeah, here. Yeah, big Focus. parking lot. And, uh, but Gene was just mortified at that. And she said, what if he hits something? And I remember saying, that's eh, so a what? It'll be, you know, like a light post or something. It'll be a dent in the bumper. How could you say that? <laughs> but it's true. Sometimes you need to let your kids uh, just have a little accident. I mean, you don't want them to have a big accident, but it's something they'll remember the rest of their lives, isn't it? I, I think that's uh, very true. We talk about allowing your kid to climb an apple tree, but you have to be willing to allow them to fall and break mm -hmm. their arm. Now, and that doesn't sound right. Every mom just cringed. Why would you put your child in that kind of danger? Because they need to learn how to climb an apple tree, too. And it's not just moms. I, re I remember, Jim, I'm a firstborn, so I, and I grew up, my dad was, uh, was in management at a paper mill, and so safety was always, you know, in any manufacturing situation, safety's a big deal. Hard so hats. I was not in favor of the boys climbing trees, and Dina was like, oh, what's the worst that can happen? So <laughs> there you go. sometimes it's us shoes, guys. Yeah, shoes the on the other foot. I like that. Well, let me formally welcome you back to the program. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I thought the last conversation was very uh, interesting, engaging. 
As we talked about a moment ago, these things that uh, cause us pain, that cause us suffering, I mean, the book of Romans right there, Paul says it, right? Right. How these things help build our character. And that's just where it leads from. If you looked at Romans 5 backwards, you'd say the goal is to have hope in adversity. And where does that come from? Character. Where does that come from? Perseverance. And where does that come from? Suffering. So suffering is the first step to getting towards what we all want, which is character and hope and adversity. Uh, Michael, that it's laid out right in Scripture there, but you know how foreign a concept that sounds to a Western ear, yes. a Western listener? We're trying to do everything we can to avoid the first step. We don't want to suffer in any way. Our whole culture is built on reducing suffering and pain. And what we're learning is that it's very dangerous to try to keep your child too safe. And I think that's a really important thing for parents to hear is that mm. you cannot protect your kids from everything you should not. You cannot create their path so that they don't have any adversity or hardship. You shouldn't, as a matter of fact. You need to allow them to make their mistakes, stumble, and be alongside them to help them get up and uh, teach them along the way that this is the nature of life. The great lyricist and poet Jackson Brown put it this way. I just love this. He said, I would keep her here if I were able to lock her safe behind an open door. Hmm. And you can't lock somebody safe behind an open door. And that's the dilemma that every parent faces. Things are going to happen. And you need to be ready to respond with that. Life is not going to be easy. We, Tim and I talked, uh, gave a talk about a while back, and just on the spur of the moment, there were about 70 parents there, mostly between 40 and 60. And I asked, how many of you's lives have gone harder than you thought they would go? And 90% of those parents raised their hand. Mm. And um, that was chilling to me. And that's the world we have to prepare our kids for. Um, it's For most of our kids, their life will be more difficult than they anticipate. And it's our job to get them resilient enough to face that. Well, that's a good term, that resiliency. And when you're parenting, that is what you want your children to walk away from their childhood with, is that resiliency to be able to endure. Right. And, and we don't celebrate that enough. We don't. Right. Not at all. No. Getting back up. You know, your, your kid writes half of an English paper on the computer and the power goes out and they lose the paper. The thing to applaud there is getting up and rewriting the paper. It doesn't matter the grade. It's right. the resiliency that we need to re applaud. But a lot of parents participate in the victimness of that. Explain that. What's um, an illustration? Um, if that would happen, the parents are going to get all upset and mad and angry at the fact that they just spent two hours writing half a paper that's been lost. But the parents need to think about this differently and say to themselves, hey, this could be on my child's checklist to adulthood. But most parents, I'm guessing, most of our listeners are going to be trying to figure out how to problem solve for that child. Okay, let's see. Now, how can we do this? I found myself doing this. Well, surely there's a backup, and we spend 15 minutes trying to see if there was an autosave somewhere, and eventually we get to the realization that there's not. I'm guessing a lot of parents would say then, well, I'm going to call the teacher and explain why my child doesn't have the paper done. And they shouldn't. Why, okay, they shouldn't. Why? Because the, the kid needs to understand that, you know, things like this happen in life, and I need to now deal with it. I need not to complain about it and sit and mope about it or have an adult in my life feeling sore for me. Mm. I need to 
do what needs to be done. Well, and to that problem-solving energy, if we want to call it that, um, in fact, in just your book, you talk about uh, a child breaking a window and what happened in that context. I mean, that's where I would jump in and call the neighbor and start working it out. Where solid parenting transfers into joy of parenting is when you get excited about watching how your kid's going to handle this. Hmm. We just talked about a kid losing half an English paper. The instant that happens to think, this is going to be amazing to watch how my boy handles this. And in the story you were talking about, um, a girl breaks the neighbor's window. And your first thought is, okay, how long is it going to take her to go ring the doorbell next door? What is my daughter and Mrs. Johnson going to decide about the window? Who's going to pay for it? Who's going to fix it? And to discipline yourself to stay back until you need to step in. That sounds so foreign to so many parents, mm-hmm. but it's a good thing to do. I get the uh, outcome of it. One of the uh, tenets of our approach is to train yourself to step back and let things um, transpire a little bit. Huh. And things... ask yourself, how is this going to turn out? Hmm. And just watch in wonder and amazement <laughs> at what's going to happen. That sounds so easy, though. I'm telling you. Is I there anything it. I really need to do here? Yeah, the, mm-hmm. There are a lot of... Okay, so Jim, you and I have had these conversations. I think our wives are wired kind of similarly. There's a lot of projection about what could go wrong right here. So, uh, you know, my child just broke a window. Uh, he or she won't take responsibility for that. And then they're going to end up with further incursions into criminal behavior. And, <laughs> and so then you know what's going to happen. We're going to be visiting our child in prison because they're... And it's all because window I didn't step in and do something. Right. And you might need to step in. If the neighbor is very cantankerous, difficult, shaming, you might need to step in, but you don't need to until you see how that's going. There couldn't be a better scenario than for her to knock on the neighbor's door, for the neighbor to bring the child in, to look at the glass, to have a cookie and a cup of coffee, and the two of them discuss how they're going to move ahead with this. Mm. That's what we want. That's what we're looking for. Um, Again, we're running down this freeway called parenting, and there's this off-ramp that you're talking about, which is the modern word would be chill. I mean, that's what comes to my mind. It's hard to get off on that off-ramp, though. (laughs) I want to keep going down the the freeway to make sure that I do everything I can as a parent to uh, create the environment for my child to uh, thrive. But you're saying that's dangerous. It is. We've gotten to know in the last year when a, a dean of student at Stanford University, and she's talked about how immature today's freshmen are compared to 20 years ago. Now, that's interesting because that's an objective perspective. It's happening. And I've heard that from other college professors right. as well. And, and, and she's, what, she's been there 23 years. And she said today's freshmen are so far behind 20 years ago. And part of that is from that mindset that you're talking about is Mom and dad are always going to be involved. They're going to be Paul's there. going to fix it. Yeah. Parents really need to learn this issue of patience. It's an underlying theme of this book. And this is true. Back at, off. Let it happen. Let life play itself out. And this is really true at just about any age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In your book, you also talk about uh, the what's next principle. Mm-hmm. Uh, fill us in on what that means. What's the what's next principle? We call it what's the two things. That's the name of the chapter. And the two things really uh, helps parents cone down just a couple of things that they're going to work on 
helping their kids learn about themselves, life, relationships, whatever that happens to be. What's an example of that? Um, so uh, a five-year-old uh, needs to start maybe to learn how to load the dishwasher and how to pick up their room. Those are the two things the parents should put all their energies into uh, until those things are mastered by that child. What does mastering it look like? That um, when they're asked to do it, they do it? Or they, do, they know Wednesday night they load? Exactly. That they are self-regulated, that they are self-governed um, around the issue of doing what their responsibility is. Okay, so over the course of, what, 15 years, you finally get them yeah, in the right you, place? You start at five two and things. finish at 20. <laughs> well, you, once the two things are done, then you go on to the next two things. Really? And the and, next two things, yeah. and the next two things. And over 15, 18 years, you've clicked off hundreds of things. But you're coning it down to a manageable job. Parents who try to change everything, and I have a list as long as my arm with each of our three kids, what they need to learn next. But I can't work on 50 things with three kids. Yeah. I have to cone down to two things. For one of our daughters, one of those two things right now is to teach her how to budget. That's one of the big two things. Yeah. And that's what we're working on. We've been working on it for two months. In the book, Jess, do you give age-appropriate two things to work on? Absolutely. Is there a connection there? Yep. So give us a, a snippet of that. You've got the five-year-old loading the dishwasher. What should the 10-year-old be able to do? Well, let's take a 15-year-old who um, is not getting his homework assignments in and not showing up at the time that he's supposed to be home in the evening, the 11 o'clock curfew. Um, those are two big things, but the parents should focus on those things and then forget about his room being clean. Forget him about you know vacuuming this or taking the garbage out. And Mike has a, a, some great scripting that he's done with parents on what to say to your kid when you're just working on two things. Mike, maybe you want to share that. Well, yeah. Um, one of the things that I found really troubling to me is how many kids, even in their mid to late teens, mom or dad are still waking them up in the morning. So I tell parents, it's really hard for your child at 17 to feel like a young man if he's still getting up the same way he did when he was four. Huh. And so one of the two things I suggest for them is that we're going to start next Monday. I always give them, tell the child a week from Monday or 10 days from now, there's going to be a new policy, not starting now. <laughs> parents that's love starting a, that's now. That's a good rule. I'm well, laughing because that's the, my you know, habit. <laughs> and what, what I think a lot of parents find is if they give that five, seven, 10 day thing, sometimes it takes care of itself before you ever start. Right. It because the kid knows that they're gonna work on that. So you would say to a child, look, you've got about eight things you need to do around the house, but right now you're behind on math and you're not getting up on yourselves. We're gonna focus all our attention on that. Those are the next two things you need to learn on your journey towards adulthood. And you're still your job to unload the dishwasher or shovel the sidewalk or whatever it is, but we're gonna back off on that because we don't want you to get confused about what we're focusing on. Mm. So you're saying we're going to suspend all other things for right now for you as a child. Sus not suspend them like you don't need to do them, but yeah. But don't focus on them. We're not going to focus on them because we don't want you, one of your excuses to be, you expect so much of me. We're expecting you to get all your math assignments in and get up on time for the next five weeks. So what happens in the end? So you do this two at a time, one at a time. Maybe you can even squeeze three at a time occasionally. But what happens at the end? What's the benefit? Do you think then they you really get then it? Then you say to your child, I'm so proud of you. I just uh, went online and checked and all your assignments are in. And 
nine of the last 10 days you've got up on your own. And so we're gonna do this for one more week, then we're gonna drop that off and maybe look for a couple other things for you to work on. <laughs> Would you ever get the response, it's always another couple things, Dad. It yeah. never ends. Well, that's a really that's a really good point. And one of the our parenting approach, we believe you have to convey that you're for the kid. And if you don't do that, you're not going to be able to pull it off. Mm -hmm. Too many kids that I see see their parents in it as an adversary. Right. And if you're for them, you'll structure your sentences like this because. I know how important it is for you to be caught up in math. I'm going to back off on a couple other things to set you up for success. Mm. That that and is that really feels like grace. Yeah, that really is important for us mm -hmm. as parents to capture this topic here, mm -hmm. this very thing. Because again, I think our instincts are to drill in and be punitive rather than to back up and reward on the small things that are going well. So that the child, really, so that their sense of well-being and even healthy self-esteem, spiritually speaking, I mean good self-esteem, starts to develop, right? Right. And what I want parents to do is to say to their child, you know, you are just nailing fifth grade. I am so amazed at how you're doing fifth grade. You've got great friends, you've got a great grade point. I'm gonna back off a little bit and give you some space. One of the biggest problems I see with kids is when they're making bad decisions, their life doesn't go that much different than when they're making good decisions. Mm. And we really Because of us as parents. Because yeah. of us. And it's partly the culture and it's partly the parents. But we have to make sure that a kid's life goes radically different when they're making bad decisions than good decisions. That's mm. how we learn, that's the environment. I run into kids all the time that I'll say to them in September, how was your summer? Tell me about the best day of your summer. And they'll say, well, I went to a buddy's cabin and we stole a boat and we did this. And the very night that they made the most bad decisions is the night they had the most fun. Mm -hmm. That's a setup for poor learning. Yeah. And I had, my wife and I had three kids of our own and 13 foster kids. And what I always said is, I am not gonna sit back and let you fail. But if you are succeeding, I will cheer you on. Hmm. Imagine a 10th grader who gets a message from their parents. You are really doing well in school. You're thriving in life. You've got great friends. We're really enjoying watching you. Yeah. And we don't really have anything we can think of that we need to work on with you. Yeah. <laughs> can you imagine a 10th grader getting that message from their parents? Yeah. Well, I, yeah, and I was going to ask this. Sometimes siblings act differently oftentimes. Oh, sure. So you may have a, a younger sibling that's displaying greater responsibility uh, than an yeah. older sibling. Mm -hmm. right. How do you manage that as a parent uh, to not go too far o overboard in kind of coincidentally shaming the older one who's not up to kind the of task? Indirectly? Yeah, kind of indirectly shaming I think if them. this is the, cult, the vocabulary of your home, they're not going to be confused. They'll be used to that. And you'll say to this one, your weakness right now is responsibility, but you're great socially. Your sister, on the other hand, is great responsibly, but she's weak socially. So we want her to have at least two friends over a month. And we want you to stay home and do your homework. <laughs> right. and, and don't look at each other. The rules are different for everybody here. Yeah, and I really appreciate it, uh, the encouragement you're giving to parents and to me right now. So uh, let's talk about spiritual training of children uh, because this is an area where a lot of families 
can experience challenges. Uh, I'm thinking about the teen years especially, probably because I'm living there, uh, where going to church has become a bit of a struggle. They don't always want to get up on Sunday. Um, Let's say my teen, boy or girl, just doesn't want to go. They find it boring or they lack the interest, whatever the excuse they may give. Um, How do we uh, re-energize them? How do we encourage them that this is something the family does, it's important, and we need to do it just like we need to have dinner every night? What would you suggest? What I would suggest when your kid's in their late teens is, I'm a reasonable person, and because of that, one or maybe two Sundays a month you can stay home. But I'm still your parent, and you're still a minor, and you can go to our church three times a month. And... Uh, You don't have to believe what they say, but you have to be polite. You have to listen. You have to participate. But you're getting to be close to adulthood, so what you believe is up to you. Mm. But I, you know, I've given my life to Christ. I believe it more than anything else. It's my job to raise you, and like it or not, that's how I'm raising you. Yeah. And I think that brings in the Proverbs 22.6 really strongly. It's been a very important verse for me as a dad. Um. I desire nothing more that my three kids would all be believers in Jesus Christ and follow him. And my wife would say the same thing. But we also understand that kids, when they get to a certain age, their brains think differently. We did too. Mm. We didn't always think the same way as we think now. And parents need, especially Christian parents, need to be patient in the process of raising your kids the way they should go in a biblical way knowing full well that many of them, in fact, the majority, will probably fall away from their faith in the teenage or early adulthood years. But through prayer and through trusting God's promise in this, know that they will come back. And my wife and I have certainly experienced that with our kids. Mm. And most importantly, we've touched on it, that good modeling that they can see faith in action in you as mom and dad, Mm -hmm. that it's not uh, disconnected. They're not seeing you act differently than what you tell them to act like. Right, and the transparency of the discussions are so important. There there was a time where one of our children, um, if we would even bring up anything in faith, faith faith-related question, she just couldn't hear it. She couldn't listen to it. She was in a really tough phase of her life. She had some woundedness from some decisions she'd made. And it was so hard for both my wife and I, especially my wife, to just let that go for a couple of years. And now she has come back full circle and is completely devoted follower to Jesus and is on fire where she's at. It's just wonderful. And that's a great place to end because that, in essence, is the whole story, that they end up in the place they need to be. And Mm -hmm. as parents, that's what we want ultimately. The journey may be all over the place, but uh, we want to... uh, I'm not sure why, but it seems sometimes deeper faith follows when camp faith or Sunday school faith fails. Mm. There there has to be that childlike faith has to dissipate and come back as an adult mature faith. And sometimes the wilderness is what happens. Yeah, and we hate to see that as parents. It's hard to watch. Yeah, we call it a collision uh, at our house when our kids have had collisions of their faith with life and what life has dealt them. That's when things really change and it becomes internalized. And it's their faith, not our faith. They own it. Yeah, at and that that's point, a joyous they, time for, for my wife and I when we've seen that happen. Well, that's great. Michael Anderson and Dr. Timothy Johansson, authors of the book, Just uh, the Essence of Raising Life-Ready Kids. Great to have you with us. 
Great to be here. Thank you. And thanks for helping us to uh, get behind the eyes of our child, to uh, understand what they're thinking and feeling, especially when we uh, try to enforce some rules and why they respond the way they do. And uh, this has really been helpful information. Our program was provided by Focus on the Family. And on behalf of Jim Daly, thanks for listening. I'm John Fuller. really loved the past two days with our guests giving us some different perspectives on how we can parent in such a way that'll help our children to be life ready. It's such a great idea to take only two things to work on at a time so that we don't overwhelm them with too many things to focus on improving. Uh, This has been a great discussion and I'm sure you will agree. If you would like to go deeper, you'll want to get a copy of Timothy and Michael's book, Just the essence of raising life-ready kids. You can call us on 031-716-3300 or visit our website at safamily.co.za to get your copy. And while you're on our website, have a look at our upcoming tour of parenting events with Rob Parsons and Catherine Hill. We're excited to be hosting these two phenomenal speakers And we'll be traveling the country presenting a parenting event titled, What Every Parent Has to Know, Bringing Up Kids in a Changing World. That's from the 23rd of February to the 3rd of March, and you'll want to book your tickets early. I'm Alison Schnell for Focus on the Family Africa. Thank you for joining us today, and be sure to tune in next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.